0: Well, hello, 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 everyone. Welcome back to Time of Grace's podcast behind the series. Uh, That's me, Pastor Mike, lead speaker with Time of Grace, and I am blessed and honored and excited and enthused. And Amber, what's a really cool adjective I could put in (laughs) to describe how I feel about this interview?
1: (laughs) Yeah, you got me. You had so many there. I was was thinking uh, you were really on a roll.
0: I, I, I thought I was, and then I yeah. ran out after four adjectives. So I'm, I'm excited to be here with Amber L.B. Swenson. Uh, she's back on the podcast to help us talk about our really big, uh, exciting sermon series that was a, a joy to, to preach at our church, and we're excited to share it with the Time of Grace audience, too. So the series is called What is Love? Digging into the biblical idea of love, uh, often used and often misused word in culture today. So God is love and we're supposed to love each other. Christians are supposed to be known in the world by the way they love. And yet some people think Christians aren't loving that they're hateful, that they're intolerant, that they're bigoted. So what does all that mean? We're going to try to unpack that in the series and Amber's going to help us do it. So welcome back, Amber.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Did you ever at any point think, boy, I've really bit off way more than I could chew when you do a series called what is love?
0: Constantly. Yeah. 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 And it's always like when you actually start to study the topic and then you're like, oh no, this should be a- an 11 week sermon series. How are we going to squeeze the-, the messages are long enough as they are. So yeah. yeah and when yeah, God totally right. is
1: love, then how do you even start, you know? <laughs> yeah. So good for you to take it on. And I'm glad that you feel a little overwhelmed when you do it, but can we go back to something we talked about the last time we were together
0: before uh, yeah. we start
1: on this series?
0: Sure. What's up? Am I in trouble? <laughs>
1: No, Did I do something
0: wrong? I apologize already.
1: Well, likely you did, but I mean, I didn't catch it (laughs) if you did. So um, when we were talking about CFW Walther the last time, I just would like to make a little clarification. First of all, the proper distinction of law and gospel. We were talking about that book, which is a very difficult, not easy reading book.
0: Uh, And, uh,
1: And I should really have been a little bit more um, nah, it's okay. It was what it was. But anyway, I would like to clarify. That was not my first experience with Walther. Have no. you ever heard of the book God Granted?
0: I never have. No.
1: By CFW Walther?
0: No. Um, if you're listening excellent. out there, by the way, CFW Walther was a Lutheran pastor from the 1800s who was kind of influential in Lutheranism. So yeah, God Granted. Tell me more about it.
1: Yeah. So I had been given that book, I think in 2016, and it has, um, a reference, a biblical reference, and then basically a devotion, like just a three page, very manageable devotion that, and and the whole book is phenomenal. Mm. So uh, a friend of mine had given me that book prior. So I I had known Walther by those standards. Mm. This is very easy reading. I mean, very Um, manageable. Yeah. So when I got uh, into the proper distinction of law and gospel, it was a much different feel. But like anything else in life, I I think back to your grumbling to grateful series. And one of the things you talked about was the pain and how you get stronger through pain. Hmm. So you mentioned that your wife, Kim, she works out and she goes and she puts herself through this pain. And why? Because she wants to get stronger. Mm -hmm. And so even though the proper distinction of law and gospel is a difficult read, that's not to say it isn't worth reading. It's excellent reading. And there's a lot of spiritual growth to be had if you dive in and keep with it.
0: Yeah. Well, I feel like this is much better. Ember's apology tour. Did the great, 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 great grandchildren of CFW Walter.
1: (laughs) No, I just know someday. Someday I'll see him in heaven. And I just felt like I needed to make that <laughs> clarification. He was a stern looking
0: <laughs> man. He's gonna be shaking that like.
1: <laughs> but I also do wonder, like, I mean, I know that you change your message depending on your audience. Hmm. And the proper distinction of law and gospel was, correct me if I'm wrong, it was for seminary students, correct? I believe they so. Were yes. A series of lectures. Yes. Yeah. Who knew though that those seminary students were so oh educated?
0: Yeah. <laughs> they, they, they didn't have Twitter back then. So they were, they were much smarter than us in general. So CFW Walter, if Jesus is relaying this message to you in heaven, we are sorry. You, you did great things for the kingdom of God and Amber is excited to see you and she'll be grateful for your work. Absolutely. All right. So back to the series, what is love?
1: Yes. So the first ser- sermon that you did was called show tough or tender love. And you looked at first Corinthians 13, You examined which traits were tough and which were tender. Were you surprised to see that God's definition for love was considerably more tender than tough?
0: Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah, so if uh, you're listening and you're not familiar, 1 Corinthians 13 is that famous love passage you sometimes hear at weddings. Love is patient, love is kind. It's not easily angered. So it's kind of a subjective call, but I divided it up. Well, you know, patient feels like a more tender... Characteristic. Um, you know, if you're holding on to the truth, that's a little bit more tough. And when I kind of divided it into those two categories, God's definition of love in that passage was a lot, a lot, a lot of tender and just a little bit of tough. And I, I maybe would have been surprised, but some of the favorite research I've done in all my years of being a pastor, obviously, if people are listening, they can't see me like you can on the Zoom here, but I'm pointing right now on my shelf to the stack of note cards that I have. Do you know about those?
1: I do. I remember.
0: Yeah. So all the
1: times that there's the God's, well, I'll let you explain it. You're much better at it, but yeah. the positive things that God has said about you, his people and his word. That's
0: it. Yeah. It's so in the new Testament, I tracked every kind of tender thing. God calls his children. You're my son. You're my daughter. You're loved. You're forgiven. And then all the tough ones. Oh, you have little faith. You're still a sinner. And there were 682 total examples And 610 of them were positive. So for God's people who believe in Jesus, you know, even though we struggle, and God could be, I mean, if he wanted to be a tough father in heaven, he could (laughs) lecture us all day, every day. Instead, he is so tender with the way he speaks because of the work of Jesus. So maybe when I got to First Corinthians 13, it's not shocking that God, He's He's a gospel-leaning God. He has a place for the law, but just like a good parent, he doesn't want to come down with the stick. He wants to show love and affection. And so imitating his love looks really similar to that.
1: So do you oscillate towards tough or tender Ooh. in your own life?
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You sent me that question ahead of time. I, my honest answer was both because they can both be very convenient for me. Uh-huh. So sometimes it's easy to be tough just cause like, well, here's the truth. If you don't believe it, that's on you. Boom. I'm done. Yeah. So I don't need to be patient with you. I don't need to be quick to listen. I can just confront you. I can flip over tables like Jesus and just think I'm being loving. Kind of convenient for me. It doesn't take much time. And sometimes when I want to be liked, well, I'll just let my light shine and I won't bring up the tough subject right now. And I'll just be p- patient. You know, these people need more time to hear the word. So I kind of thought if I want to be lazy, I'll yeah. choose tough. If I want to be liked, I'll choose tender. And so my my sinful nature has a place for both of them. It's just a matter of choosing the right one at the right time from God's perspective.
1: Hmm. So how have you found or have you found something helpful in the situations as a pastor or as a father or just in your community when you have to be tough?
0: Mm-hmm. Have
1: you found any you know, tips or, you know, yeah. that's not your natural tendency. That's not our natural tendency. Yeah. So hmm.
0: Yeah, two things, and then I want to ask you the same question. I'm curious if you're more tough or tender. Um, when I started as a pastor back in 2007, I was assigned to a church in Madison, Wisconsin, and there was a, uh, another pastor there named Glenn Schmigge, and he had been there for a couple decades, I think, and he had this great quote. Even though I haven't uh, worked with him in about a decade, it still stuck with me. He, he always said, when you have to have a tough conversation as a pastor, His quote was, drip love. Mm. Like you're going to give someone the truth, but let them see it like in your expression, let them hear it in the tone of your voice. Like if you got to say you're walking away from God, like let that choke you up. Like uh, if you just want to leave your wife and run away with some girl because it feels good right now, Like, I'm not going to see you in heaven. So he had a way of teaching me of say the tough thing, but say it in a tender way. So you don't have to chew, You don't have to be a jerk about it. You know, Jesus, uh, Matthew 23, remember, he just goes off on the Pharisees. Woe to you, you vipers, you snakes, you whitewashed tombs. And then he weeps. Yeah. Oh, I just, I wanted to gather you like a hen would gather her chicks, but you didn't want it. So I always remember that from Glenn Schmiggy. drip love. And real quickly, my second bit of advice is follow up. So, you know, I can smash you in the face and you think, oh, that guy's a jerk and he hates me. But if I'm texting you the next day and say, hey, I know it was a really tough conversation. I've been thinking about a lot and praying. How are you doing? What have you been thinking about since we talked? And it just has a way of like, oh, he's not just trying to be a, a jerk and put me in my place and judge me. He actually cares about me. So those two things together, the follow up and drip love or the best way that I know to approach it.
1: Sounds like you had a really great experience with a pretty neat pastor to start <sighs> your ministry, which is really, I mean, that's, you yeah. that can form the way you do ministry. I mean, that just is really important.
0: Oh, I can't imagine that. I mean, I did enough damage with my immaturity as a young pastor without him there to kind of balance me out. We're very different personality wise. Like, man, the church just needed him in so many ways. So I'm grateful for him. How about yeah. you? Do you? Do you lean towards at home with the kids, with your husband, at work, at church? Are you like the, here's the truth. Amber's <laughs> dropping bombs, quoting Habakkuk. It's just the word.
1: <laughs> so let me ask you, because I can see you. Give me a T like technical foul if you think it's tough or a cross if you think I'm tender, which, okay. which is your guess.
0: From listening to your podcasts, you strike me as like, I think you lean towards the tough side of things.
1: Yeah, I'm yeah, exactly. I think in fact, when you said how much damage you did at the beginning of your ministry, I was a camp counselor for like three years and I think I sent several kids to therapy, I mean, and I'm not joking. So they put me in the nature cabin to do a creative writing class. And I was doing camp stories. And of course, during one of our sessions, the mama mouse had babies. So all the kids, you know, went by the glass of the aquarium and they're watching. Well, the next day, the camp caretaker comes in and starts feeding mice to the toad. Like they raise the mice to feed them (laughs) to the snakes and the toads, right? Like he comes at the end of class. We're still talking and he's feeding. So one girl was just sobbing. She was going absolutely crazy. And I... Thought I was being helpful, saying, <laughs> you know, this is the circle of life out in nature. This happens all the time. Little birds get eaten by big birds. And then I was like, in fact, it's dinner time. Do you have any idea what we're eating tonight? You did not. I did. <laughs> I did, Mike. I'm like, you know those hamburgers we're having? Do you have any idea what that was last year? I know, I didn't realize. I thought I was being You know, first of all, I'm in Wisconsin and I thought everybody in Wisconsin knew, Yeah. you know, there are fields of cows. And so, I mean, I'm legendary for the amount of times that I probably did things to children that caused therapy. (laughs) So definitely tough. (laughs) Have a long ways to go. Have gotten better. But yeah, definitely, Mm. definitely tough. Wow. Unfortunately, because the series definitely showed (laughs) that is leaning the wrong way. So that's good. Uh, I have lots to learn. uh, Don't we all? The second sermon was called, Isn't Jesus on my side? And I have to commend you because you went through the whole book of John. And that has to be, is that a record? I mean, for the amount of material covered in a sermon for you or. Um, Yeah, it was, it was a
0: quantity over quality message.
1: (laughs) It was, but it's good. A whole lot of people just want to focus on Jesus being tender, but there's a danger to that. So what is the danger of just focusing on the part of Jesus teaching that we like?
0: Um, I mean, not to be drastic about it, but you could end up with zero Jesus. You know, those people who were just about the tenderness and oh yeah, you know, I'm a believer and I'm a follower. And he would tell those like chilling stories on the last day, I'm going to say, I never knew you. Like you, you didn't do the will of my father. I know who you are. You know, person's living in sin, deceiving themselves saying, oh, I have faith. I have faith, but they don't have works. Like just leaning towards the tenderness and love. He'll take care of it. It's fine. I don't have to repent. I don't have to change. I don't have to turn around on the sinful path that I'm on. So, you know, you can think, oh yeah, Jesus died for me, the tender side and totally miss out on repentance, which means you don't really have Christian faith. Or you could be so focused on the, like, oh, you got to do what he says, and he he has commandments, and don't be ashamed of his words, and I'm, I'm following. But if I don't know the tenderness of the gospel, I mean, you can try to obey the commands of Jesus, but that won't save you. Like Galatians 3.10, all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. So if, if you don't get both tough and tender Jesus, it's almost like you only get repentance but no faith in the gospel or only supposed faith in the gospel, but no repentance, which actually really isn't faith. So yeah, if if you don't get the whole Jesus, you you really don't get any of Jesus in the end.
1: And a lot of people, unfortunately, do this on purpose. I remember working with a girl who called herself a cafeteria Christian. She took what she wanted out of the Bible and put back what she didn't. Ooh. You know, the, <laughs> you hadn't heard that before, huh? Oh, I haven't. Yeah. And the it really was telling going through the book of John because you pointed out over and over and over. I mean, Jesus was tender meeting with Nicodemus in the middle of the night and told him, you know, rebuked him, you're Mm -hmm. Israel's leader. And Mm -hmm. you don't know this stuff. He healed the cripple and then said, go and sin no more. He Mm -hmm. fed the people. And then he said, look, I'm the bread of life. And Mm -hmm. they all walked away from this hard teaching. You know I mean? It's, it's there, but I think until somebody points it out, yeah. we don't necessarily see it or recognize it.
0: Yeah, and that struck me because this is John's gospel, and John is famous for the word love. So yeah. love each other. Jesus washing feet. God so loved the world. This is how we know what love has no one greater than to give up His life. And it w- it really was eye opening as I start. Yeah. Like I wonder if if Jesus is tough and tender in every chapter, and twenty one straight chapters he is.
1: Absolutely. So you you just can't
0: avoid it. Yeah.
1: um, Mary anointing Jesus and pouring that out and him, you know, commending her for it. And then Judas, you know, being Mm -hmm. like, Hey, what are you doing? And Jesus saying, Hey, the poor are always going to be with you. So it was, it was a really neat thing that I had never recognized before. And I think a lot of people will see it. It is very evident that Jesus was both not one or the other. You, you have to have the grace and the truth.
0: Exactly. I'm doing a, a small group right now, um, we're, and we're actually reading through the gospel of John one chapter a week, and my group is super diverse. Uh, we have a, a person or two who's like not all in with Jesus a couple, was it last night? Yeah, one of the guys said he's agnostic, bunch of people newly baptized, bunch of us who are longtime Christians, and just, you know, we'll read a section of a chapter, and almost always, after we get done reading, doesn't matter what chapter, what section, someone will go, oh... <laughs> like Jesus says something so fierce. You're like, Oh, what's, what's going to happen next? Like, what would happen if you said that to someone? You're not Abraham's children. You're children of the devil. He says to the religious people. (laughs) So just hearing people who've never read the Bible before, just come face to face with the real Jesus and watching their reactions and hearing their reactions. you, You just can't avoid it. That's who he was.
1: So Mike, here's a very telling thing. You oscillate towards tender. I know that because you chose the, the book of John for your small group study. I chose the book of Judges.
0: <laughs> and then
1: they all died. They <laughs> everyone went their own way. God sold them into slavery.
0: And then Amber looks up from her Bible, looks everyone in the eye and says, don't. <laughs> <laughs> Snap Bible shut. Who wants to pray? <laughs>
1: <laughs> no one. We are all going home. Thanks, Amber. <laughs> Great night. Great study. Way to go.
0: Pick up your 20% off therapy uh, coupon <laughs> out the door.
1: <laughs> Amber is still sending people to therapy. Shocking. Oh, man. man. Okay, you made sure to note that in Jesus' day, a lot of people didn't agree with his teaching. In fact, he said to his disciples, if they hate you, don't worry, they hated me first. Are we doing a good enough job of standing apart as Christians and teaching our young people that to follow Jesus' teaching is really going to put them at odds with the rest of the world pretty much all the time?
0: Hmm. Yeah, I don't know if that's clear. Like just pointing out the... I mean, sometimes we think, oh, you know, Christianity has this image problem because we're not loving and we're hypocrites. And there's certainly a big, big, big kernel of truth in that. But it should make you think that when love itself was walking on earth and he had three years to start a church, he got it up to 120 people. And that was because he like raised some of those people from the dead. And they were dying and he cured their sickness and they were demon possessed. Like he, he did dozens of miracles and he was perfectly loved. He like balanced this perfectly and he could not, could not, you know, he, he did not grow a big church. So I I think for kids to just read the gospel of John or the book of Acts or any of the Bible (laughs) and realize, Hey, it's never been a popular thing to not let people be God. You know, that's the story of judges, right? Everyone wants to do as they see fit. And in our day, people like the idea of God, as long as he submits to their truth and their and their life. So I think it's good for kids to know like, hey, this is hard. We, we all want to put ourselves first. And if you come with a message that God is love, but he gets to make the, the choices and set the standards, like people will hate that. It will be intolerant and bigoted and judgmental and hateful, not because you're mean about it, but just because you're not letting them sit on the throne and wear the crown. So I, yeah, in my opinion, we should be with our kids, um, with our students, with the next generation. Let's just be honest. Um, in the church that I walked into here in Appleton, the original pastor before you left, it was a quote from Jesus from John 13. If the world hates you, it hated me first. <laughs> See you next week.
1: It's true though. I I teach kids. I I teach seventh and eighth graders this year, both Sunday school and Bible history. And I tell them all the time. I'm like, you're walking out of this class, you're getting confirmed. And when you get to college, if you're going to keep living this, you might be the only one on your dorm floor, getting up on Sunday morning to go to church. Hmm. You may be the only one who's not going to the party on Saturday night. I mean, Hmm. it can be a very lonely thing. Hmm. It's not necessarily persecution as much as it is, you know, standing apart and, being different, and I think you know we all want to fit in. I want to fit in. I yeah. still want to fit in today. And so, and for teens and young adults too. I mean, they're no different. They they also want to fit in. And to know that it can be very very lonely. But man, if you get into a good campus ministry group and find those other people who are lonely on their dorm floors, and mm-hmm. get together with them and go to church together on Sunday morning, then there's two of you, or there's yeah. three of you, yeah. and yeah. Right. I think it's good to prepare kids because otherwise you go with the expectation that, oh, you know, I will not be the only one. Well, you very well may be the only one. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well said. It's better to be lonely with a clean conscience mm. than in the crowd with a burdened one.
1: Oh, that's good. Very good. What about um, us in the church? I mean, I know your old pastor was preparing the people, but mm. you know, have do you subscribe to or do you read Voice of the Martyrs at all?
0: Um, I'm familiar with it. I haven't read it uh, probably in about a year.
1: Okay. But it seems like in America, we're not, I mean, well, how can we, you know, we haven't, we haven't lived it to the extent that they have in Sudan Mm -hmm. or in Korea, North Korea, you know, so we, we couldn't know that reading a Bible could mean death. You know what I mean? So, I mean, I think for us, it's hard to understand that in other places in the world, this is a very real thing. It is life or death to follow Jesus. It is not a, it's your job Hmm. or it's your family. You know, you, Hmm. you're kicked out of your family for not being the right religion and and you are homeless Hmm. as a 13, 14, 15 year old beaten, you know, so many things. So I think we've had it easy in america mm-hmm. for a really long time so maybe mm-hmm. we don't understand yep. that other people in other parts of the world experience this yeah in extreme ways
0: yeah they're much more closer to what was happening to the apostles than we are
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know we think someone says a nasty thing on a time of grace facebook post and oh the persecution <laughs> right it's like, but i'm not afraid to walk into church and You'll film the next episode for time of grace like someone's gonna walk in and assault me because i have a bible in my hand so yeah you're right we, yeah. we we need to toughen up a bit i think we play the persecution card too quickly and you just read even in the sermon on the mount very early on jesus says in matthew 5 um, blessed are you when you're persecuted because of righteousness rejoice and be glad because that's how they treated the prophets who were before you so Instead of like saying, oh, we got to do whatever to avoid persecution. Like, let's just do whatever to be faithful. And if we're persecuted or ignored or excluded because of it, let's be happy. Like, oh my goodness, I'm standing with Jesus. Maybe they're getting drunk. Maybe they're ignoring the commandments, but, but they're not standing with Jesus. Here I am with the son of God. Like, this is pretty sweet. <laughs> so rejoice and be glad that you're living in the presence of God because you're being faithful to him.
1: Yeah, and you're in really good company, wasn't it? Peter and John, who were arrested and they Mm -hmm. rejoiced that they were persecuted for the sake of Christ.
0: Yeah. So if you are, you're
1: in really good company. Yeah. Amen. So Easter hits smack dab right in the middle of this series. And the Easter sermon is called My Best Life Possible. I know it's unfair because you can't generalize. (laughs) I just want to get your reaction. (laughs) I know you're going to (laughs) say, Amber, shut up. Just move on. But I am listening to your sermon. And you're talking about having life to the full and i wrote down i know it's not fair it's so not fair but i wrote down in light of this why are so many christians so grumpy <laughs> is that not fair just tell me it's not fair
0: i circled on my notes here you can see this i circled the word unfair <laughs> <laughs>
1: Because you didn't. I, I knew you were going to. I knew, your, knew you were.
0: Going to. In your original notes, you didn't even put why are so many Christians grumpy. Your quote was: "Everyone, listen. I'm reading this off of Amber's notes. Why are Christians so grumpy?" So it was a very broad brush.
1: It was. I knew it was unfair, but anyway, I have a theory. Do you have a theory? I, I have do. A theory. I want
0: to hear yours first.
1: I do have a theory. No. Okay. Okay. I'll give you my You're theory. First. I think we carry burdens that we're not meant to carry. I think we carry the weight of the world on our shoulders. We think that it's our job to change the world. And it it was never meant to be our, that was Jesus job. And Mm. and it's God's job. It's the Holy Spirit's job to change hearts. You know, in, I mean, there are heavy situations. I have friends who have wayward children. That's a heavy, heavy, heavy situation. Mm. But when you're praying and you're continuing to plant the seeds, I mean, you can carry the weight of that burden but you're doing all you can because it's the Holy spirit's job to change a heart, not yours. And so I don't look at it as Christians get up and decide to be grumpy and make people miserable. I'm not, I don't think that at all. I think we carry a lot of weight on our shoulders that we're supposed to cast onto God. Mm -hmm. And because of that, when we carry the weight of things we were never meant to do, then we tend to be, serious and Mm. not as joyful. Does that make sense?
0: It makes total sense. Yeah. If I'm hearing you right, it's like, if you have to control the outcome and make this work, then all these things that aren't working just become frustrating. You get negative, pessimistic, um, hopeless. When, if we're just going to do what we can do and let God do what he can do, Well, that kind of relieves some of that that burden and stress of needing to control this.
1: I've tried to be God a lot and he's told me he didn't need any help. (laughs) And so this is from personal experience, but truthfully, I just think um, it's not that there aren't really, really serious things. And I see this a lot with politics and things that are going on in the world. I have to ask myself, Amber, is this something that God asked you to fix? Mm. And if the answer is no, then i pray about it because i'm concerned too i pray sure. about it sure but if god didn't ask me to fix it then for me to just ruminate on it it's just a waste of my time mm.
0: yep i think you're right my my theory is related i just thought well I, I self-reflected like when am i the grumpiest and i think you're right it's when i'm it's when i'm scrolling There's all these things I can't do anything about. Everyone's mad. There's and I'm like a, I don't know, it's mirror neurons or something. But you kind of just take on the negativity and the problems and everything's broken in the world. It's always been that way. It's just that in the last six minutes I got exposed to all of it in, you know, a couple of flicks of my finger. So I think being really careful about limiting the kind of you know if it bleeds it leads. Is that what they say in the newsroom? No, you've never heard that. Come on, Nia, producer Nia, you, you work for a newspaper. I'm right about yeah. Like if if someone if someone's bleeding, you put that on the front page because that's what people oh, you know that's what they'll read. So it's the drama, it's the anger. So if if that's what if that's what get clicks, well then people are going to put it on their pages. And then if that's what we see on the pages, of course we're going to be like, oh, the world is terrible and it's the end times and all that. But if we're people of the word. Like, no, this is all temporary. These are birth pains and they're, they are difficult, but man, the, the glory that will re- be revealed in us, it's not even worth comparing with all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm in the word and the, you know I'm reading love, how tender it is. I'm reading those 682 names that God calls me, 610 of which are positive. So whew, the grumpiness lifts a little bit when I'm in the word instead of soaking up the headlines of the world.
1: And despite what the news wants you to believe in my little, little tiny world, my neighbors and I still love each other. Mm. You know what I mean? So when I focus on what's right in front of me, which is going to teach on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings, I love my seventh and eighth graders there's a lot of joy there. I don't care what's, I mean, we talk every time about what's going on in the world. Cause I ask them, you know, the best and worst part of your week and they're telling me things. And so we let that in a little bit so we can pray about it at the end, but then we get into the word and we have these great discussions. Hmm. And when I'm focused on my family and what's going on with all of us, I mean, there's so much joy there and contentment in my neighbors. And yes. So, I mean, if we just focus on what God gave us to do, which he hmm. gave us a lot to do, Then we can be joy-filled, but when we think that we have to fix what was never ours to fix, then how, then we just get weighed down. And then we walk around like grumpy pants that nobody wants to talk to.
0: Don't, don't be a grumpy pants. Says Amber. You're right about that. My, my wife says something similar. Like when everything's crazy with the pandemic, she's like, but what am I seeing right in front of me? Amen. I went to school. We read books. We taught about Jesus. The kids were happy. The parents were happy the world is not, obviously it's serious, you know, we're not making light of COVID or anything, but like, I have a reason to rejoice today. God blessed me with a good day with health. So yep, that's not mine to fix. There's good people. I'll pray for them. So yep. I, I think you're given really wise counsel there.
1: Well, okay. Then let me tell you how <clears throat> terribly I stink at this because oh. I just found, I just saw a friend in the grocery store uh-huh. and I had like a two-minute conversation, and it was all negative about what was going on. Like We were both like, oh, I know, and can you believe it? And I honestly walked away thinking, Amber, you had two minutes, and you blew it so bad.
0: Wait, I want to hear your grumbling voice again. Can you do that
1: impression? No, no, you got one chance.
0: If you're listening, just pause and rewind that so you can, oh, I know.
1: (laughs) Okay, I want to talk about Thomas. You brought him up in two of the sermons, and- I don't know Greek, so there might be more to this than I know, but I have a theory and I could be totally wrong. And maybe the Bible doesn't tell us because I've been accused before of reading too much into the Bible. So set me straight. I think Thomas gets a bad rap because we always call him doubting Thomas. I think he was traumatized. I mean, his Lord and savior hung on the cross and he had really believed in him like really believed in him. And I think he was hurt and he was left out. Am I wrong? Was he just a doubter? Or do you think there's room? I'm not saying there is. I'm just asking, is there room for saying that he was hurt? He was traumatized and he needed just a little more time.
0: At the Bible study where we're reading to the Gospel of John, we joke about Thomas all the time. That you see Thomas in heaven, you're like doubting Thomas. No, and that's he, not he fair. says, One time I doubted one time, one time. <laughs> and now it's my nickname.
1: Good. <laughs> yeah. It's I'm glad someone else feels the same way. I think, yeah. <clears throat> I think we're being unfair.
0: And you know, one of the first times he shows up in the Gospel of John. Um was it a, that
1: Lazarus when yes. Lazarus was raised from the dead and he said, Let's go and be crucified or killed with. Jesus.
0: Boom. Okay. If you're listening and you don't respect Amber's mature faith, she just totally out of the blue came up with that almost exact Thomas go. Yeah. Jesus like, no, we're going to Jerusalem and it's Thomas. Normally Peter speaks up, right? Cause he's always, he's always got something to say, but it's Thomas. I got my Bible open. Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with Jesus. So that's not doubt. That's not fear. See? Yep. Am I wrong? Um, Yeah. I mean, Jesus still rebukes him. Stop doubting. He says, but for us to broad brush him as like some, Oh, wishy-washy lack of faith. Yep. He was a a faithful follower. We can only imagine what he was thinking. Like, you you don't want to put your heart into something that might not be true. So we should, in my opinion, you're spot on. We should give him a little bit more grace.
1: Okay, good. Let's be tender. We've
0: we've been really tough on Thomas and it's time to be tender.
1: I, I think so Thomas we will apologize when we get to heaven because you can't hear us now but all well that anthem.
0: if you can't hear us Thomas and CFW Walter is next to you <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes moving on I have I've already set the record straight on that so <laughs> the third sermon um, what's my first love and you talk about disordered loves this was a really great sermon because so many things that go wrong. I mean, when we rub each other the wrong way, it's because you have your loves and your priorities in a different order than I might have. Hmm. And then Christians, you, you went through the catechism. So we had brought up the catechism the last time and you brought up the first commandment, which is you shall have no other gods before me. And you mentioned how that should be the number one. For Christians. So we might have a certain set of uh, order to our loves, but then we're living in this world mm. that has a completely different order to things. Yep. So I remember last time when you were explaining the c- catechism and you brought up the small and the large catechism. Correct. Luther's he, Luther wrote both, and you said the small catechism is like a question and answer, whereas the large catechism is essays. So we had our conversation on Wednesday. I went to teach that night, went a couple of minutes early, went to check out my church library, which if you're not accustomed to your church library, they are awesome. That's where I get all my books. That's why I can't write in them and I couldn't find it. So I went to my pastor's office and I said, Hey, do we have a copy of the large catechism? And he came out and he pulled out this book that was like huge. <laughs> And I said, no, 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 no. I'm not interested in that. It was the book of Concord.
0: (laughs) Okay. Yes. Which
1: includes the Augsburg confession, all these things that I'm saving for eternity. (laughs) I will, I will read those in eternity when I have more time. But so he pulls this out and he says, Luther's large catechism is like 75 pages in this book. Yep. I brought it home. We had it for devotions. We started the first commandment. It is phenomenal. Yes. As in by the third night, I closed the book and I said, we're not reading this anymore because Mike, oh, I bought my own copy so I could write in it. Yeah. I think he might be putting the 95 theses on our church doors if Luther Ooh. was alive today. Ooh. So the section, I mean, first, second, third commandments, right? First commandment. He is hard hitting. Like you, you don't find your security in anything else. Mm. And I'm just thinking, Oh, Americans like our retirement accounts. Mm. We go to the grocery store and we have all the food that we need. We have pantries. We have freezers. Mm. We have for Americans. I think this is kind of convicting second Mm. commandment the use of God's name. Mm -hmm. There is never a time you should use God's name. I mean, look at all of our emojis and O M. And then we get to the third commandment. Do you know what the purpose of holidays are for the holidays are a time when we are to focus on God and his word and come together last Thanksgiving Well, let's just put it this way. Many, many people on Thanksgiving Mm. forget to go to church because they're so busy making food. Mm. And then they spend the rest of Thanksgiving looking at the brochures, what more to buy. Mm. So I think Luther may be a little bit, I mean, because it's not just the world. This Mm. Christians have become an awful lot like the world.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You're onto something. Yeah. And if I hope Amber's eye-opening revelation is an encouragement to just go on Amazon or online and get a copy of Luther's large catechism because he really does unpack. You're talking about what it actually means to love God, right? Love God and love neighbor. We're talking about the 10 commandments. The first three are going to cover God. So what does it look like to love him more than the world or trust in him more than my Bank account or find greater joy in gathering with his people than Good Friday shopping. This stuff isn't wrong. It's just a matter of the order of that love. So, what am I most excited about? Where do I find my most comfort in? And those are the truly convicted. It isn't, do you believe in God? The demons believe that and shudder, the book of James says. You know, the question is, what is God the first love? Um, he's, he's worthy of it um he made us his first love and pursuing our salvation so yeah luther uh he he was very tender and then he could be very very tough so very he didn't convicting. It down.
1: you know how in the old testament i think it was king joash who who was king at 7 age 7 i think and then they found the book of the law
0: uh, josiah yep
1: yeah. it was a josiah Thank i think you. so yeah i felt the same way Reading this, like mm. I have found, I'm old. I, <laughs>
0: oh, you were close there. You were close. I, I don't know the I'm answer to old. that
1: question. <laughs> I'm old, and I have never, ever, and I, I, and I, and I'm searching for books on things like this, and I have never come across this. Mm. And I felt like, why, why mm. is this not something that we are routinely doing for Bible studies? This is, mm. this is phenomenal. And this, this should be part of our normal. I mean, we bear the name Lutheran.
0: I do. <laughs> yeah. Well said. All right, man. There's no better pitch right now to pause this podcast and order this book that is rocking Amber's spiritual life. Okay. Yeah, I'm just sorry. Some, it went on no, a tangent. Not at all. No, just like when you actually see like grace and truth without it being watered down, it, it smacks you right in the soul in convicting and comforting ways i mean just the the raw law without oh it's okay you got family coming over or it's a busy season the kids have sports of it it's your only day off like we're, we're just used to excuses for sinning against the law and luther's like no it's love god more it's the first commandment on the list let me write a whole chapter so you understand what that means Amen. and when you actually see it with eyes wide open you're like oh
1: yeah for sure. Okay.
0: Okay. Now I need Jesus a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Then you come running to the cross.
1: Fourth sermon was called, I'm supposed to love those people. And I just kept thinking about the episode in Joshua chapter five, where the commander of God's army comes and meets Joshua and Joshua immediately says, are you for us or enemies? And he said, neither. Neither. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come and we love to choose sides. Mm -hmm. We, we want to say, well, God is on our side. The reason I believe this is because God is on our side, but God doesn't take the side of humans. God is Mm -hmm. his own. We take his side, but not the other way around. Mm -hmm. Why is this concept so important?
0: Oh man. So, uh, seven years into marriage, uh, my wife, Kim and I needed, uh, some help, so we reached out to a counselor and I was so hoping that this counselor would be tender with me and tough with Kim, like doc. I've tried my best to communicate to Kim what she needs to change. <laughs> Obviously, she needs someone with a professional degree for you. Let me just write this down, what you should say to her so she believes you. Yeah. So I think of that. A, a, God is what Jesus has called in Isaiah 9, a wonderful counselor. Um, wonderful counselors don't say, oh, it's, it's all you and you're the problem. Like they stand on what's true and good and healthy. They call people to both pursue that together. And if they do, it'll turn out good and true and healthy. So, um, yeah, that concept is huge for us. Cause if I'm, you know, Jesus would say it, you, you might see a plank or a speck in your brother's eye, but whoa, 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 whoa. Like f- I'm, I'm on the side of truth, not on your side. Even, even if they're wrong, let's deal with you first. So if you don't, if you think God is on your side and Thank you, God. I'm not like those people. You end up a proud Pharisee who never repents, who's never humble, who never reconciles and who never actually loves people because you're always going to be tough because you think they need to change and you're never going to be tender because they're the sinner and you're not. So thankfully that was many years ago. I I think I'm closer to like, oh yeah, I'm mostly the problem here.
1: (laughs) I really want to interview Kim right now. She, she, uh, oh, yeah, that, I'm just going to, I'm going gonna, gonna, to,
0: this is, really happens to me, but it is,
1: <laughs> you know, it's interesting. Cause yesterday I was going through my podcast and, um, our producer, by the way, is very tender. She's been long suffering with me because I was trying to get my podcasts in order for April and May. And, uh, she, I found out, I realized that I did a podcast on the same topic. That's going to air almost the same week.
0: Oh, Yeah, it was
1: shocking to me too. (laughs) (laughs) I don't remember things like that, but yeah, interesting.
0: That's awesome. Well, Amber, I'm excited. Uh, Along with this sermon series, you've actually, uh, we've worked on a little book together called What is Love? Mm -hmm. And so you added some really great taking a deeper Bible study questions so people can apply these messages to their own life. So I have uh, three quick questions for you. Here's the first one. Um, You've said that writing this Bible study on love showed you that you weren't as loving as you thought. We've talked a little bit about that, but tell us more.
1: So do you re- find, I always find when I get an assignment, it's not because I'm an expert. It's because God knows I need to learn <laughs> uh, whatever yeah. the topic is. Honestly, yep. I have said it for years, whatever the topic is, people will ask me to talk at a, at a conference. And then they give me the topic. And I have said over and over and over, I'm waiting for the topic to come up. Like you are rich and well-loved, you know? <laughs> Yes, because it's always like how to persevere during crisis or, you know, mm. and, and it's whatever assignment that God gives me. It's it's because he knows that I need to really dig into it and get to the bottom of it, probably because I'm very lacking in that area. So mm. every so I took the first Corinthians 13 passage, which you explained the love passage, and I just tried to give you know, practical, tangible applications to what this might look like in our life. And every single one of these traits, I was like, oh, yep. Hmm. Need to work on that one. Yep. Definitely could work on that. Whoa. Forgot about that one.
0: Yes. Yeah. It strikes me when couples want first Corinthians 13, read at their wedding. And I just think this is all law. Like if you actually understood this, you'd be like, save me. (laughs) Yeah. Cause it, just like you said, with Luther's large catechism, that actually love God and love people is quite the challenge when you get specific about it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Wow.
0: How about other big takeaways or themes, big ideas that jumped out at you? What, what can readers expect if they uh, pick up a copy of this book?
1: I think that one of the big themes that came across is that how much we need people We can't, Mm. we need God and we need people to do this. Well, Mm. accountability, people, helping standing alongside of you. I need people, you know, reminding me to be more patient and Mm. to be more loving. I need people who call me out when I'm barking orders, instead of being more kind in my word choice. If you have a good group of Christian friends who are not afraid to hold you accountable, I just think that's one of the truest treasures in the world and or a spouse, you know, and my husband and I like to remind each other that, you know, we're here in some ways, not just to walk together, but to help each other get better, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. or to respond a little differently or, or whatever. So when I see something in him, or if he says to me, you know, that was really sharp the way you said that it's not meant as a dig as much as you could do better, hmm. you know, like just say the same thing, different tone, yep. choose differently or whatever. And I just, as, as I was going through this again, I thought, look at how many times having other people around you comes up and how important that is Yes. to do this well. Yeah.
0: Yeah. If you're listening right now, I would, Amber a billion percent right. And the Bible would back it up That if you're struggling with, whether it's patience or kindness or love or whatever, telling another person, just inviting them into that so they can pray for you, maybe forgive you with the tenderness of Jesus, check in on you, encourage you, call you out like that. That's really a game changer has been for me and uh, the Bible and it's one and other passages comes back to that constantly.
1: Mm -hmm, Hmm. For sure.
0: All right. Last question I have. Um, I know you, you and I both love not just kind of vague biblical philosophy, but really practical applicable stuff we can take away when we read a book. I know I mm-hmm. always want to do something differently after I'm done reading. Mm-hmm. So give us a one, maybe two max. What are some practical tips a person's going to have if they pick up this book?
1: Yeah. The one that probably made the biggest, um, difference to me is the love keeps no record of wrongs. If you think about keeping score, like putting a book in the backpack that you have to carry, mm. you realize that it gets really heavy for you. So every time someone wrongs you and you put that book in your backpack and you Mm -hmm. carry it around. So the next time you see it, you can take that book out and go, Oh, I remember Mm. when so-and-so did this, you're carrying a book and that backpack gets heavy and it's not something you were meant to carry. And so when you realize that you can put the backpack down, it doesn't mean that even if they haven't apologized and if they never ask you for forgiveness, it doesn't mean they got away with it. It means you're not carrying it. Mm. So the, the concept of, you know, having life to the full, like you talked about an Easter, one little tangible way we can do that is to keep no record of wrongs. Let God be the scorekeeper, let God forgive people and you don't deal with it. Just give it to God. Wow.
0: If that was the only page in the book, it uh, seems like a worthy read. I think we all need that. It's the beautiful way to, to say that it's you think you're standing up for what's right, but it's actually hurting you and hurting mm-hmm. them and it's not your job. Give it to God, he'll take care of it. He's a god of justice and he wants you to come to him and find an easier yoke than keeping record of wrongs. Yeah, for
1: sure. So, wow.
0: Amber, it's always it's always fun talking to you. I'm amazed at how fast the time goes. So, and if people are listening on double speed, it's even <laughs> faster. So, yeah, hey everyone. Thanks so much for sticking with me and Amber. I hope you're Having a great day, that you're growing in faith. I hope uh, that you enjoy our uh, sermon series and book called What is Love? Man, it's a challenge to love people, but God is worthy. And uh, this book and this series is gonna help you realize how much God loved you first. So have a great day and God bless.